as I, as I prepared for this morning, this week, uh, Wednesday, we sat down as a staff and I was like, okay, I think I know where the sermon's going. I've got my outline. I'm ready. Here it is. Even shared with the staff, like this is where I'm going. I was confident in, in, in the scripture. We're still in the same scriptures. We're walking through Ezra together this month. Um, and then Wednesday night happened, right? We started getting reports of uh, the conflict in Ukraine. And I think as that happened and as the, the news kept coming out and you know, I don't know about you. I told you guys I love the internet. I love social media. I love what it allows us to do. And throughout the next couple of days and even into last night, couldn't get away from it, right? And you try really hard not to be overwhelmed and you try really hard not to be affected, but, but you just can't. You have to know what, what happened. What, what else happened? What else is going on? And as I wrestled with the... the the scripture that we're going to read today is I wrestled with even like the things I believe about our God. Um, I just couldn't help but feel this, this weightiness and, and this weeping as I thought about like, Lord, why do these things happen? And I, I thought to myself like, Lord, what is even my response? How do I respond? I knew I was going to be standing up here on stage and just thinking, what is my response and our response as the church, not just at Epic Life, but globally. What is our response? And I kept thinking and thinking and, and just, you know, mind-numbing, right? When you, when you are so focused on, on toil and anguish and, and darkness, sometimes it can feel like the, the true and good and holy things that we believe about God, they just don't, they don't line up or they feel at tension, that one of them has to be more true than the other, and, and the reality is that they can both be true. We're going to find that out today as we, we read through Ezra. Um, I, I ended up probably Friday night just weeping on my couch, just, Lord, like, do you care? Uh, these, these things, like, do you see them, and, and can you do anything about them? And, and if I'm really helpless here, like, I can't do anything. I can think about it. I can see what's going on. I can understand as much as I want to understand or can understand in my limited mind and my, my limited heart. But Lord, do you? Do you know? Do you understand? Do you see? And um, just weeping. And I, I was reminded by a friend that in Scripture, even, even as we're looking at the, the building of the temple in Ezra, there's a book that was written because of the destruction of the temple. That's Lamentations. Jeremiah would, would weep over the destruction of what was happening to not just the, the city, but his people. And he would weep and even go so far as to, to say, God, you are the one who is bringing these tears. And he would go and he'd go and he'd go and, 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 and just recognizing that the, the lament, that's our response, lament and prayer. Lament being the, the type of prayer to come to God honestly and say, Lord, do you see? Do you care? And do you know that, like, even me personally, being so far away and, and so removed from the, the place of conflict, but, but also knowing that there is wrestling in my heart, Lord, do you care? Lord, after, after a few years of, of global, globally knowing this conflict, do you care? Does, does this not matter? Could it get any worse, Lord? Do you care? And... Um, I just wanted to take a little bit of time just to, to pray. Um, 
God, I know the, the way that often the world wants to do is immediately use things, even in our own personal lives, and we can either reduce them to trite things and trite beliefs about God, or we can blow them up into, you know, political or, or socioeconomic. We can, we can use them to divide or to push uh, something that isn't actually of God. And I know that tension. I feel that tension. And so I, I want us to, to do something that, that is without any of that, but it is to, to sit together and to cry out and to pray. Because the, the things that we remember is that our God is good. We're going to read that through here. Our God is good and he is patient and he cares about the things that, that he has set in motion. And he cares about the people that he desires to have a relationship with. So let's pray this morning. Lord. Lord, I wrestle with the words that, that would even convey what I feel. And, and that, that, Lord, as those feelings begin to, to creep and invade on, on the truths that I believe and that I read and that I understand, Lord, and as your word would proclaim who you are and what your purpose is, Lord, the, the life that you call us into and that there is a life coming, Lord, Lord, and even wrestling with what does it mean to, to see the world around us and to be a light into dark places and to, to feel like the darkness is winning and to feel like, Lord, if I can't do anything and you live in me, what can you do? And to, to even wrestle with the thoughts that creep in, Lord. Lord, and to see conflict and and. and Lord, we only know so much. We cannot know all things. And Lord, you do. And we don't understand, Lord. We don't understand. I don't understand. Lord, I know that you are a God of justice. Lord, I know that it can, it can be so overwhelming to see so much injustice and brokenness and strife. Lord, in the end, it doesn't matter who is involved. It doesn't matter what the purpose was. It matters that it is not right. And so, Lord, I ask that you would give us hearts of compassion and hearts of, uh, Lord, that, that we would go to the depths and we would, we would invite you to go with us into the depths of our heart, that we would walk with you as we explore these, these Lord, the unknown of, of our hearts that you see and you know, and Lord, this week has felt like the living out of the spirit and the soul that groans without words. I do not know the words. Lord, the words aren't what matters. Your presence is what gives us great comfort and great hope and great joy in the midst of great confusion and even fear. Lord, and even not being able to, to actually uh, sometimes understand how it all makes sense. Lord, I wrestle as I think about our own people here that are affected by this. And, and Lord, that, that I feel so helpless. And that I feel like even knowing about it doesn't do enough, that, that, that it is not enough to know about it and to understand that it's hard and understand that it's dark. Lord, but you can. Lord, and so we ask and we just say, Lord, would you see it? And would you do something about it, Lord? Could you? 
Lord, we trust that you, you want to and that your character is good and that you are the God who understands and sees and knows. So, Lord, we hand it to you. Even in the midst of our own confusion, my own confusion, Lord, we hand it to you. Lord, we, we acknowledge that it is it's something that, Lord, we can't understand, but you can and you do. And you're able and willing to do something about it, Lord. And so we lay down our own, our own thoughts, our own uh, stories that we, we write, Lord. We lay those at your feet and we say, Lord, would you just sit with us in the pain of it all? Lord, may we trust that you are the God who, as you have set this world in motion, Lord, and you've set your plan in motion, that you have the end goal in mind. And sometimes, Lord, the darkness of, of how this world, the sin and the brokenness that plays out, it does not make any sense, and it is not your doing. But, Lord, you are the God who can work among it. And you do work in the midst. And so we hand that to you, Lord. Pray that this morning as we look at your word and as we look at the building of your temple, uh, Lord, that we would be reminded of your character. We lift these things to you, Lord. Amen. I um, I love just what I've learned um, so much. Is were we good? All right. Thank you, Theo. I um, were you sitting there the whole time? Uh, yeah, but I was asleep. All right, sweet man. Um, I really appreciate you, Theo, and just you know, you run in the sound and, and just continue to learn and um, yeah, even just standing awkwardly here while I pray. So thank yeah. you. Um. Man, I, when I, as I was reading and just continuing to read, even until last night, just reading over this, this text, we're, gonna, we're in Ezra, we're looking at the rebuilding of the temple, and we are, um, the foundation has been laid. We've already seen the foundation is laid. There's a great joy and a great weeping, and it's a sound that, that's just intermeshed. There's joy and weeping happening at the same time, so much so that it's not distinguishable what is what. And it can be heard from a loud place away, right? You've got the young generation who sees at the foundation of the temple, at just the starting of the temple, and they rejoice in it. And you've got the, the elders of Israelite who look at it and go and weep because they know what the temple was in its former glory. And they know that it's not there yet. But they also have known and seen and understand the conflict and the, 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 what caused the temple to not be there. I know that the pain and the, the anguish of idolatry and, and what has happened as the other uh, nations have come in and taken over. And they're seeing that, that they've been allowed to, to rebuild. Something to remember is that the rebuilding of the temple was started by God and is being carried out by his people. But it was stirred up in the pagan kings. It was stirred up in those who, who did not actually love God. And so... Um, we're going to be looking at a couple different kings. We're going to be looking at a couple different um, scenarios. Um, but as the work on the actual temple starts to happen, right, the foundation is laid and in temple work starts to happen, opposition comes almost immediately. You know, one of the things, though, as we, as we look, we're going to see that this, this text, if we read Ezra 4 through 6, it can feel like it is just a letter. It's a lot of letters, and it can feel like it's, here's a letter, 
All right, I received it on Wednesday. I wrote back a letter on Thursday. Friday, they received the letter. It can feel like it's just fast. The reality is, is, is we're going to look at Ezra. We're going to see that it's a, a, a long time as the temple is being built. And really, the majority of that is because of opposition. And so this, um, as they're, they're building up the temple in Ezra 4, um, we'll read that when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel, who's leading that charge and leading the people, and the heads of the fathers' houses, and said to them, let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do, and we've been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of fathers' houses in Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God. But we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. And so the, the, the opposition comes and tries to sneak in of like, Hey, we worship your God too. Let us, let us build a temple. The idea here is that these were the enemies of the tribes of Ben and Judah, who, is, who are the tribes that are gathered, right? And, and they, they've been in opposition with them historically, and they're, they're part of the reason why the temple's not standing. Um, many believe that it is because of that idolatry and that history of idolatry that Zerubbabel is saying, you have nothing to do with us building this temple. And it was part of the pure, the, like keeping the Israelites pure, keeping that, that group pure and safe from idolatry. They don't like it. So they send a letter to the king. Right? So the, the, the opposition or, or the building of the temple started with King Cyrus. And we're going to see that it will end in King Darius's time. There's a, le- there's a king here somewhere in the middle, King Artaxerxes, who if, if you know anything about Ezra and Nehemiah, we're going we're gonna to end up talking through Nehemiah as well. And King Artaxerxes is who sends Nehemiah. But in the middle of all this, we see that uh, there is, um, there, there's kind of a, a ploy for, like, authority. That there's this grab for, like, hey, if we're not going to be able to build and, we, and really sabotage what's, what's happening at the temple, we're going to write a letter to the governing king. Hey, there's this group of people that are trying to rebuild the city. Trying to rebuild the city, not just the city, but this people. Go look in the record books. This people. They started uprisings. There was a great king, and everyone, you know, followed this king, and they paid taxes, and they paid money, and they paid all the things to this city, not, not to, uh, at the time, the Persian kings, but also the Babylonian kings. Go look. And so what does the king do? He goes and looks at the records, and he finds out that this is true, that there was a king that did end up bringing some uprising and some, some clashing and he says, okay, stop, stop the building of the temple. Make sure it does not happen. And this governor, uh, Tatanai, is, is, is the governor, I believe, at this time. Um, and so they stop. They go in haste, the, the, Ezra would, would write, that in haste they go to stop the temple. And this happens so, again, in King Cyrus, his reign started. And then in the first year of King Darius, so time has passed. In the first year of King Darius, this stops. Up until about the second year of King Darius' reign. 
And so this isn't, again, like the, the letters make it seem like it's just, it's happening. But this took a year, about a year, year and a half between them starting the temple and then being forced to stop. And Ezra, or the author of Ezra, isn't really concerned with what happens between what stops and what starts. In fact, in the text you'll see um, that it says, when the, the copy of the letter was read, Rehum and Shimshai, the scribe and their associates, they went in haste to the Jews at Jerusalem, by force and power made them cease. The work of the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped, and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia, to the end of, of chapter 4. And in chapter 5, it says, The prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem, in the name of God of Israel, who is over them. And then Zerubbabel, the son of Shaphael, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. There is, that's, the sto- like, that's how this story is portrayed. And it's not that what happens in between isn't important. It mentions the prophets of Haggai and the, the prophet of Zechariah that they prophesied. We actually have books written about what was happening at that time. And so it's not that it's not important. It's that it's not important to what we see in this story of the rebuilding of the temple. That there was opposition and then it stopped. And then the prophets would, would prophesy in the middle of that um, some of it of, of, hey, you're building your own house and you've left the work of the temple alone. Some of it of, hey, you, you aren't living out the way that God has, has done and the way that he's allowed this temple to be rebuilt. They prophesy over Israel. And so then the work restarts. As the work restarts, they're, you know, they, they've been given this order. And so uh, Tatnai comes, he's the governor of the region, says west of the Euphrates. And that's going to be important for later. But the governor comes and he says, hey, who gave you permission to restart this work? And, and as, he, as they, they're being in opposition, they're actually, they don't really answer. They don't give an answer for this work. But, but it, the way it worked, they, they waited for a letter from the current king. So the kingship has changed from Artaxerxes and Darius over into King, uh, sorry, Cyrus into King Darius. And the reigning rule has changed. And there's that letter that says, stop the work, right? In fact, I forgot to mention this important part. King Cyrus's letter says, whatever they need, take, take everything that has been taken from them into the Babylonian temples, take it out, send it with them, and whatever they need, it'll be paid out of the royal bank account, whatever they need to get this work done. Send with them what they need. It's important. Um... And with Ezra, as, or in, in the text of Ezra, we learn that this, this opposition again, so they, they quote in this, having them come across as like, hey, why are you building? They don't respond except they're quoted in, in the letter. They end up sending another letter to King Darius. And it says, hey, we've, we've tried to stop what's happening here as you've commanded or as, as the, the rulers commanded. We, we benefit from your kingship, your rulership. So we don't want to do anything without your command. But this, this city is it's coming again. It's rising up. They're doing the work. But what they have said, they quote them saying, what they say is, if it pleases the king, would he go and check the records that this original decree was made that we would build the city, that we would rebuild the temple. 
if it pleases the king. Essentially, they say, hey, if it pleases the king, whatever the, the, the king would decree, we will do. And so the, in the same sense of they've appealed to the king just the way that the opposition has, except they're, they're saying, they're not defying. They go, hey, we're not defying you. This isn't out of rebellion. This isn't out of us trying to just do whatever we want as we have been accused of and as, as records show. This is actually us saying, hey, King Darius, the same. We honor you. We want to know what you think. If it pleases you, hey, go check the records. There's a decree that allowed us to do this. We're doing this out of the freedom from our, our previous rulers. And so if it pleases you would, you, would you go and look and see the decree is, is true? And so he does. Now, the king could have said, I don't believe you. Stop the work. I've already decreed for you to stop the work. But instead, he says, okay, I'll check the records. And he does. See, the, the previous king saw the record of, of uprising and saw that there was clash and saw the, the threat of the temple being built. And so he sees the work. And the plea and, and the, the, the plea with authority, hey, we will surrender to whatever you decide. But if it pleases you, please go and check. There is, there's the same plea, but not out of fear, out of, hey, you have the power to, to continue this decree. And if you'll do it, we will gladly do it. And if you say no, we'll gladly stop. Is essentially what, how they sign this as they're quoted, right? So King Darius will go and check the record, and he, he reads out in Ezra, uh, Ezra 6, or rather, Ezra um, 5. Uh, sorry. Darius the king made a decree because he reads out the decree that it actually had happened, that all these things that the Israelites were claiming were to be true. And so then King Darius is going to issue a decree in the middle of this. And, uh, and so remember, Tatnai is the governor of the, the land west of the Euphrates. And this is Darius' decree as the Israelites have come to him and as they are going to uh, plea with him to read the record. So Darius the king made a decree. A search was made in Babylonia in the house of the archives where the documents were stored. And so he finds that in the first year of Cyrus the king, the, issue, the king issued the decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem, concerning this temple. Let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits, its breadth 60 cubits, with three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. And also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place. You shall put them in the house of God. Therefore, Tadnai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bozani, and your associates, the governors, who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews, let the, the, the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, 
I make a decree regarding that you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river, west of the Euphrates. Whatever is needed, bulls, rams, sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests at Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail. That they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also, so he's not done. <laughs> he started to make this decree of, you know, hey, let it be done. Tad and I, leave them alone. Leave them alone. Let them to their work. In fact, instead of just coming from the royal revenue, actually it's coming from your, your province, from your district. You're going to fund this project. Give them whatever they need. Give them abundantly more than they need. Give them everything they need daily, without fail, without delay. Give them everything they need, not just for the, the sacrifices, but for their priestly duties. Whatever they need. And he could have ended it there. He could have said, that's my decree. It's going to happen. Remember that there, there was a, originally already a decree and that it was being opposition. So this next part just takes care of it. So give them whatever they need. Let that be given to them day by day without fail that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house and he shall be impaled on it. And his house shall be made a dunghill, shall be made a garbage heap. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. The original decree, as God had already stirred up the king for this work to be done, right? It was a good decree and it allowed the stuff to be done. It allowed for them to take what they needed and to be sent as they were out and exiled and in different places. That the decree was that wherever they were, they would be sent from the people among them. So the entire region is providing for them. And they're coming in and they're doing the king. And with this opposition that comes in, Darius is essentially saying, no more. This decree has been made. I, out of my authority, I'm saying, do this. If this was already being done, do this. And essentially, the, the way that I kind of uh, um, hear this conversation going in my head, this is not necessarily what it's saying, but this is the way that I interpret it, is like, hey, king, Whatever you decide, we would love for you to do it. There's opposition. Tat and I is like, yeah, no, we're not going to let them do it. King, lay down the hammer that you're not going to let this happen. Right? And instead, the king says, hey, Israelites, thank you so much. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. Thank you for, like, I went and checked the records. Actually, Tat and I, stay away. Be done with, with this little game you're playing. Be done. In fact, you're going to fund this project. You're going to do it. I'm decreeing it. By the way, if anybody, anybody alters this edict, let them be killed, humiliated, 
Let, let his house be destroyed. And not just destroyed, but put to shame. Do not change this edict. If anyone would raise a hand to change it, may their place be removed. He's saying enough's enough. This is, this is going to get done. Remember, this is a pagan authority. This is, this is not within the house of Israel. This is not within God's people. This is outside because they have the rule and power. And they're the ones who come in and say, this work's getting done. The king is essentially, and whether it's a, a, a because of power, because of I want this to be done as I am king, or if it's in, out of grace and mercy, uh, intended or not, that this work is going to get done and it will not have any opposition anymore. And that's what happens. The work gets done. The people around carry out these uh, the works diligently. Now, it doesn't tell us whether or not they actually kill anyone or impel anyone, at least in this letter. But they say they carry out these orders diligently. And so the Israelites are provided for abundantly for every day, for what they need. And they eventually finish the temple. They do. They finish the temple. Now, again, I said the, 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 when you read Ezra, it can feel, if you're just scanning, it can feel that, oh, done. All right, the temple's getting built. It got built. But if we look at the timeline that, that Ezra gives us and that because of the other letters, this was a long time. In fact, it tells us that the temple was finished in the sixth year of Darius's reign. It's, it's stopped in the second year. And so there has been time that has been allowed to pass. And it took a long time for even because, remember, two kings had been in place. It took a long time for this work that God initiated through pagan kings to then be finished and provided for through pagan kings. Afterwards, as they celebrate that the, the temple has been built, they, they actually remember that they were provided for the, the rituals, the priests were provided for. And so they celebrate not just Passover, but they celebrate um, the, the sacrifices. And I thought, you know, as I was reading this, it's, it's interesting that um, the writer would, would include what that sacrifice was. So in um, verse 15, 16 of chapter 6, the people of Israel, the priests, and the Levites, and the rest of the returned exiles celebrate the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication 100 bulls, 200 rams, four, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all of Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem, as is written in the book of Moses. And if you remember at the beginning of this, there was kind of this commotion of we don't actually know how this goes. Or we do, but we can't walk in it. And at the end of the building of the temple, here they are, not just walking in those sacrifices, not just performing the, the, those rituals and traditions, but they're being provided for in abundance. They've been restored, some restoration, 
Because it'd, it'd be one thing for the temple to be built, and it'd be one thing for them to, to be able to celebrate that the temple is done, but then to not be able to walk in the sacrifices, to not have provision for sacrifices. If you look at even like Leviticus and the way that God provides way after way after way after way of this is how you can. If you can't afford a bull, you can do this. If you can't afford this, and he provides the way because it's the heart of I will provide the way. I will remove those barriers, right? And here you have the people of Israel who not only have the, the temple finally the temple built, and they celebrate and dedicate it, but then they're able to walk in the ways of their tradition, of their, their uh, relationship with God and what God has intended, the sacrificial system and the celebrations, and they're able to do it because God has provided abundantly more than just for the one day. He has given everything that he needed to complete that work. As I... I it's, it's so good, and, and Ezra finishes with this, like they, they finish the temple, and then they, they're able to walk in that so that the work that God has done is not empty. And it's not just for God's glory, but it is for the thriving of his people. That's the intention. We're going to learn in the other books that, you know, they're not always the, the best at it, and, like, they don't, they, they've been able to complete the, the temple. We'll read later that, that the wall is still has not been rebuilt, and we'll, we'll get into all of that. Scripture does not uh, shy away from that longevity and that story and, and the way that it took. But as I was reading this, I was just so like, well, what do we do? Especially, again, I told you, I wrestled with like, what do we do with all that? As we look at the, the reality of God's character, as we look at the reality of how he provided, what do we do with it? What does it matter to us? Earlier as I was reading, there was the scripture that came to mind and I wrestled with like, ah, right? But ultimately, Jesus says that if we have seen him, we've seen the Father. And what that teaches us is that as we look to the character of Jesus, we see the completion. We see clearly the, the character of God. As, I, as I, I look at even just the, the entirety of the story of the rebuilding of the temple, which is now finished, I thought to myself, what, what do we learn? What do we actually learn? What, what do we walk in? So from this story, I think there's a couple things. I think God is patient. You know, it could be easy to, to say that, like, when the opposition happened, God could have said, you know what, that's it. I'm done. You guys gave up. You stopped the work. I'm I'm done, whatever, don't build a temple anymore. I'm done with you. But rather what God does is he, there's no mention whether God is annoyed or, or upset or, or happy, nothing. Because that's, that's not the way God operates. He had set something in motion. And when opposition came, that wasn't something that he intended. That was not something that he set in motion, the opposition. But what he did do was he leveraged it and foiled it and thwarted it right? It says that, that we believe in a God that thwarts the schemes of the devil, that thwarts the scheme of opposition. And that's what happens here. Opposition comes and says, hey, this, the city's going to be built. No, it's not. And God says, okay, watch what I do. I've already stirred the heart of one king. I'll stir the heart of another. And he stirs the heart of the king to not only provide, but to cut off opposition. God is patient. 
and he waits and he sits with the, the Israelites as they finish this temple. He's patient. And the work that he sets out to do, he accomplishes. And God will use whatever means he has. He owns it all. And he is not, especially in opposition that isn't sent by him, he doesn't go, well, I can't do anything here. I wasn't expecting this. Oh, this is too much for me. He says, no, you think that, that you, in, in opposition to my will, my plan, my people, that you can succeed. No, you can't. It's a scripture that tells us that, that he gives us a shield to, to shield us from the flaming darts of the arrows, right? Uh, from the enemy. That that opposition, that attack will not, will not thwart the plans of God. What else can we learn? Well, I think that we, we learn that in this character of God and in, as the Israelites are looking at, at the temple, right? They've seen it destroyed. They've lived with that for a generation. They've lived with the fact that their city is in ruins and they're in exile. Things do not look good for them. I already said there's an entire book written uh, because of the destruction of the city and the temple. Lamenting. God, Why? And in that, in the suffering and in this happening, God did not abandon his people. And he fulfills his promise to Abraham that he will always be with his people. He will, he will make a nation of his people, a great nation. There is soon coming the completion of his work. And we can see that in here as he rebuilds the temple so that like his presence will be with his people so that they can worship and, and be in relationship with God. And we know on this side of the revelation of Jesus, we know on this side that in the midst of our suffering, whether global, whether personal, whether because we're linked to people in our workplaces or our schools or here in this room, we know and we see the character of God who is patient and sits with us, even in opposition. We know the character of God who does not send opposition, but works in spite of it and can overcome. We know that God. And we know the God who sets out to do work. As we look at scripture and see the story of scripture, we know that he's not finished. That the work of redemption is finished, the work of reconciliation, but that there is a renewal to come, a new heaven and a new earth. All things will be made new. That is the work of God. And if his character is true, as we read in Hebrews, Hebrews says that, that look to your elders, look and carefully examine their lives, that if they have walked with the God that we know, because Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. And if it's true that when Jesus says, you see me, so you've seen God, that we can see this character of God, we can see the way that he worked, and we can know and be confident. We can be confident that when things happen in the world and in our lives and in our midst and in our families, that when those things that tear at our hearts and tear at our minds and cause us to have to cry out, the only response is to cry out in anguish. Maybe some of us need to cry out in anguish. We need to give ourselves the space to do that when that happens, that, that we are confident of our hope in Jesus, 
confident that that work is not finished and that any opposition to that work, to the flourishing of his people, to the flourishing and the, the renewal of his creation, that that work is not thwarting God's plan. God is still in the midst of it, and he still works in the midst of it, and he works very much in spite of whatever comes against his plan and his people. That's what we can be confident in. We're not confident in the things, like, like there's a song that, that we sing uh, very often here at Cornerstone, right, that no other frame, no other frame will hold. I don't know the actual lyric. What's the actual lyric? Is that, is that close enough? Yeah. But no other frame will hold, right? Like this building, like what do you, and we've talked about it here in our series of what do we build our foundation on? What do we build our foundation around? And then what do we build up from there? So that when we look out in the world and we see that there's conflict, we see that there is incredible darkness and incredible wickedness, and wickedness that we may not even understand because it does not, it is not for understanding. It is chaotic, it is dark, it is evil. It's not meant for understanding. That's not who we were created to be. God is not the God of confusion. God is not the God of chaos. He is not the God of wickedness. He is the God of goodness and hope and order and restoration. Those are the things that we hold on to. You know, it would have been easy, and it, and it was. When, when the Israelites were building, when Zerubbabel, when opposition came, it was easy for them to go, okay, because the ruling authorities have said. There was probably a lot of fear. There was probably a lot of, like, just turmoil in their hearts. Forgetting the, the, the entire story. You know, it would have been easy, and it probably it was. God set this rebuilding in motion and almost immediately there's opposition and a a halting of his work. God, I thought you were restoring this. I thought you were at work. And now it got really hard. It got really dark. They're still living there because it took four years for the, the completion of that work, even as they were freed to do it. One of the things that's interesting is, is those prophets who remind Zerubbabel of the work. You and I need to be able to do that with one another. And when we look out in the world and we're discouraged and we see the work halted, that we encourage one another and we remind one another, we exhort one another to the Lord. This work is not done. This life is not done. As hard as it gets, and trust me, it gets hard. I didn't know how to think about the global conflict this today, this week. It's hard. It can be easy, so easy to just think, well, okay, God's, God's done. He's not working. So what does it matter how I walk in his ways? What does it matter that I cling to that hope that I have? And we see that he will finish that work. God is a God that finishes the work that he sets out to do. And even when it seems that that things have come in opposition and in heavy opposition, God says, no, I am the mighty God. I am the mighty fortress. I am the one who commands kings, sets authority, sets governments. I am the one who does that. Nothing is set in motion. Nothing is allowed 
Nothing is allowed to continue. Let me, let me be a little bit clearer, unless I say it is. So the decrees that the kings made, as much as God was stirring in them and allowed them to happen, it was only because God set it in motion. It really was. The Babylonian kings cared nothing for who they, they ruled. They were dark. They were destroying cities. They didn't care. Persians a little bit more, as you read in history, they, they treated them a little bit more kindly. In fact, they went ahead and re- the kings went back and read the decrees. And then they made sure that no one, no power would come against them. And this is God saying, my plan will succeed. I set this in motion. My plan will come to completion. To restore people to their God. To restore people to their kingdom. To restore that relationship in close proximity. That's the hope that we have. So I I just want to take some time to pray and, and remember that. That in the coming days and weeks and years and for the rest of our lives, until our lives cease to be or until Jesus comes back, we're going to see conflict and evil, hatred. We're going to see sin, destruction. It's going to happen. But we can be confident in our God that walks with us and whose eyes are not shielded from that but a God whose character is one of compassion and one who can, again, he's not only willing or able, he's not only mighty enough to do something about it, but he's just and compassionate enough to do something about it. His plan will not, will not be thwarted. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Uh, Lord, I don't even know if I... I said what needed to be said off my paper, what I believe that you were saying, but I believe that your spirit has spoken what needs to be said. I believe that ultimately you are the one who does, does the work. Lord, thank you that you give us a spirit that, that Jesus said would be the helper. That it is good for me to go and ask God to send the helper, the helper, the comforter the spirit that dwells in us and makes us its living place, Lord, is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. There is power and hope that lives in us, that walks with us. Lord, I pray that as we look out and that we would remember that we would be encouraged, that we would be, um, Lord, moved to know and understand that in the things that bring us anguish, and strife, and toil, the things that bring us grief, or the things that seem too much. They are not hidden from you, Lord. Lord, as we look and see the way that you have moved and stirred things into motion, Lord, your plan will not be thwarted. Your plan will not be, be caused to cease. You will finish your work trust you, Lord. We pray that you would help us to walk in wisdom, to walk in truth, to worship in spirit and truth. Lord, in that that rumors and and half-truths and half-lies, 
Lord, would not cross our lips. Lord, that we would look to you and surrender to you. And as we walk into the world, Lord, that we would shine your light. I'm reminded of of the scriptures. Jesus is teaching his disciples and telling them, you are a city on a hill, and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Go shine your light before all men, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. Lord, so we ask that you would help us to walk in that. Comfort us, help us to hold on to hope, help us to shine your light brightly. I love you, Lord, and we're so thankful for this morning. And we give this morning to you as we sing and respond, as we take communion, Lord. We give this day.